Well, hello everybody and welcome to Ladies Who Switch. It's an episode coming after a fantastic week for the women's game and we've got to say that the first of our predictions was spot on. We have broken that string of draws in women's tests. The first match in seven where we've had a winner and a loser. That was one of our predictions. I think the other one might have been that the winner would be Australia. So we were spot on there as well. They are really the dominant force in the women's game. And I'm joined by my colleague Valkyrie Baines, who was there, who saw all the action. First of all, Valkyrie, that fifth day, it proved to be crucial, didn't it? Yeah, it really did, Fidos. And it was it was such a good thing because it basically influenced or didn't influence, I should say, the way that the game was played. There was no need to manipulate a result. It just happened organically. You know, batters batted, bowlers bowled, and, you know, the match situation unfolded. Do you know what I mean? And so it, they only took an hour and a half to um, to knock over the wickets they needed on that last day, Australia. But the fact that they had that extra day to play with, I think, influenced the way the entire game was played. Um, we found out 23,207 people went along over the course of that five days. So, again, like, that's brilliant to have that sort of extra, you know, showpiece and... Um, yeah, it was just great to have been played over that extra day. Yeah, and there were some amazing individual performances. So I remember you saying that uh, Alyssa Healy was going to be among the runs and then her first innings wasn't necessarily what she would have wanted, dismissed for a duck. But can we just talk a little bit about the way Australia batted uh, and, and how they approached, you know, we, we've been speaking a lot about brands and style of play, intensity of run scoring. Is that what you saw? Yeah, we did. It was... <sighs> It was really interesting, actually, because um, with Healy, so she had sort of come in and um, she was on that string of three ducks in tests. And I had sort of said, oh, you know, she's got to be due. She's got to be due. Um, so, but she batted down at number eight in that Australian second innings. And um, when Annabelle Sutherland came in ahead of her, you could kind of understand that because she'd made a century, like 137 not out in that first innings. And she almost deserved to go up the order. So she was pushed up. You could understand that. And then Ash Gardner came out ahead of, of Elisa Healy and that was a bit like, mm, what's going on here? What, you know, so and there was a lot of chatter and um, Healy sort of said, you know, she had copped a bit of a god, gobful, you know, walking out, knowing that she was on that string of, um, of ducks. And there was, you know, questions as to why she came in at eight. As it turns out, she did end up revealing that she had gone into the match with two broken fingers, one on each hand. That's happened in the warm-up game. So she had kept for 110 overs or whatever it was prior, went for a hit in the nets early on that morning before Australia's second innings was really struggling to grip the bat. So that was actually the reason, she says, behind coming out, down, you know, a lot further down the order, even having dropped herself down to manage those captaincy and wicket-keeping duties. So when she came in at number eight and scored a 50 off, I, I just thought that was pretty heroic, really. Like she's uh, the first ball she, um, the first ball she faced when she was, uh, you know, in line for a double pair, shall we say? Um, she the ball sort of skidded under the edge of her bat and uh, bounced off Amy Jones's wicket keeping gloves. And then, as it turns out, replays showed she had actually edged it. So if Jones had a 
actually been able to to get the catch she would have got another duck so it was a, a little bit of a nervy start there but um yeah she she came through with a 50 and sort of and that was really crucial too because she then put on 59 runs with Alana King and that made the situation a lot better for Australia. They had lost a rash of wickets and the target they set England in the end was, you know, going to require a record run chase in tests for the fourth innings. However, it could have been easier had Healy and Alana King not combined for that um, that eighth wicket stand. So, um, yeah, she played a really important role. And then, obviously, um, with the gloves and, and captaining, she... Um, she had some crucial dismissals of England um, in that uh, on that last innings, and um, yeah, she played a really big part in the end. Um, it's also interesting too. I just wanted to mention um, going back to the five day test thing. Um, Heather Knight, um, the England captain, she's all in favour. You know, if if offered the chance, you know, five day test all the time, you know, should be the norm, and she really campaigned for this one to be over five days. And Elisa Healy, her Australian um, opposite number, she's got a slightly more nuanced view. She doesn't disagree, but she is more of the thinking that if there can be a reserve day, then that could be something that they could look at as well. And she sort of makes the argument that there have been draws in men's tests over five days. There have been results in women's tests over four days, albeit not for a long time. This was the first one since 2015. There'd been six draws leading up to this one. But the, the idea of having a reserve day is also something that could be looked at. So four days with a reserve day. And I guess one thing that we haven't really talked about is what's the end game here? Are we trying to get more women's tests? Are we trying to get more countries playing women's tests? Or are we just trying to get more days? So, and it's not that one has to mutually be exclusive of the other. Maybe it can be, you know, aiming for more tests, more countries playing them and always over five days. But it's just, if that's going to be the deal breaker and, uh, you know, some nations aren't going to want to play tests if they do go over five days, then maybe that's something to think about is having a reserve day instead. What do you think? I like that idea. I mean, it's something we hadn't actually spoken about as we debated between four and five days I do think this is a great example of why five days worked and why you need that extra day and I would say that women's tests should be played in exactly the same way as men's tests we're trying to level the playing fields in all departments uh, we're trying to make sure whether it's equal pay I heard that coming up as a discussion um, as the England Cricket Board were discussing their report which has come out this morning as well dealing with all kinds of different isms uh, sexism, racism, elitism, and all that sort of thing. So if we're going on equal pay, we're going on equal fixtures, game time, World Cups, you know, why not five days as well? I like this idea of a reserve day. I think it's intriguing. I don't know how the broadcasters and the people involved in schedule making would react to something like that. And even fans, you know, you mentioned over 20,000 people in, which is just absolutely phenomenal for a women's test match. And I guess there's an element of planning, you know, a small example we've seen the 2023 World Cup schedule, which has finally come out, and it's left fans in the lurch. People are wanting to make their plans and, and know whether they want to be in attendance or not. So it's an interesting idea. I'm more intrigued by the way that the players played this test match, especially someone like a Tammy Beaumont, given that they actually had some prep time. So she scored runs in the warm-up, and then a double hundred, which is the fifth highest score of all time. I mean, that's phenomenal 
phenomenal. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm even getting tongue tied. But how much do you think having that prep time, having time in the middle, practicing against the red ball did for her in that innings? Yeah, that is an excellent point. She scored that double hundred in the warm-up game, then comes out and does it eight days later in a in a test match. Um, and in the lead up to this test, John Lewis, the England women's head coach, he'd said, you know, we would like better prep for Red Bull games. Um, but I think this was a, an example of probably the best prep they've had in a long time um, and how it did work for a lot of the players. So they had that good, I think it was like a pretty much a three-week period. The England players at least convened. They played an internal warm-up and then had the, the warm-up against Australia A. And similarly, Australia having never played with the Red Dukes ball. They had a couple of camps um, up in Queensland over the course of about six, eight weeks before they even came over. So yeah, they really did prep for this. And so it shows that it can be done. And when it is done, the the players can really, you know, have a chance to get their eye in, you know, work out how to play, you know, this format with, you know, this ball. And I think Tammy Beaumont's innings, like 208, it was really perfectly timed as well. Like she scored quite quickly in that warm-up, but that was on a, a smaller ground and, you know, on an even flatter pitch. But this was a really good tempo, like a, per, a perfect test innings, really. And um, it's interesting because... Because of her, England got to within 10 runs of Australia's first innings, which was 473. And and still she sort of came out quite disappointed that she hadn't managed to just get their noses in front. And you sort of think, oh, come on, you know, don't be hard on yourself. But actually, and it's not on her, but the fact that England did concede that first innings lead was an important point because then, you know, Australia got their noses in front, you know, you know what they're like, they're going to put it even further in front. Um, Sophie Eccleston did her absolute best to try and limit that. She took two five-wicket hauls, so 10 for the match. And she was really important in that Australian second innings. Had Australia, you know, a little bit of trouble, then it took, you know, sort of uh, there was Beth, Beth Mooney at the, the top of the order. She made 85, so that was really important for them to get runs. And then it was Healy and King, like, toward the, the bottom of the order that actually pushed that um, – that fourth innings target out to where it was and to where it ultimately proved to be, you know, un unreachable for England. But yeah, Eccleston had, you know, taken five wickets in that second Australian innings. And, you know, you went into that last innings thinking, you know, England have got a shot here. And it was only when they ended up losing five wickets um, on that fourth evening, which we will talk about in greater depth now, because uh, this was probably, you know, the highlight of the entire match. Um, yeah, it was only then that you thought, oh, okay, yeah, they're in trouble here. Yeah, I mean, looking from the outside and uh, being in still in Zimbabwe where we're not always getting coverage of everything, although that said, we did have the women's test on the television. So I can tell you that there were people involved in the World Cup qualifiers keeping a close eye. And the conversations that we've been having here, especially after the two first innings, was, oh, they've both scored a lot of runs. It looks like this is just going to peter out to a draw. I actually thought that the target of 268, and maybe we've been spoilt by men's test matches and by the England men in particular going after targets, I thought, hang on a second, that's gettable. I think England are going to get this. They've got a day and a bit, what was it, a day and a half, four and a half sessions maybe, to get these runs. And they've got some good informed batters. Tammy Beaumont's just come off that double hundred. Nets of a brunt has batted well. I thought actually they've got a chance here, which is why I want to ask you a little bit about the pitch because the wickets fell to Sophie Eccleston and Ash Gardner. She took 12 in the match, 8 in that amazing 
second innings showing. Do you think, you know, we spoke about pace in the previous pod and how maybe women's tests don't get results because there's not enough pace. But was there enough? Was it turn or bounce? Or what was it that made the spinners come into this match so much? Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, a very good point that you say about the 268 target, because I thought exactly the same thing, that it was not beyond the realms. And given the side that England picked, they picked a side to do just that. They batted pretty, you know, pretty deep and with batters who were capable of, you know, scoring runs quickly if time got tight or, you know, pacing it out as Beaumont had done in her first inning. So they did pick accordingly and he thought, yeah, this is gettable. In terms of the pitch, so really interesting, it was um, not doing much early on, uh, hence we saw a lot of runs made. Then on the third evening, Ashley Gardner, who we're about to speak about in a lot of depth because she was absolutely pivotal uh, to the result here. But she had said it is starting to deteriorate. There's some cracks starting to appear. We think that we can use that to our advantage on the fifth day. So great, we've got a fifth day, you know, and we, we, we can use it. So that that was another important um, reason for, for that fifth day. But yeah, so she could sort of see it. Um, Eccleston's ability to just bowl over after over after over was as important just about as her abilities to to spin it because you know she just she I think she bowled 28 overs on the trot in Australia's first um first inning she ended up bowling 46.2 I think it was in that first inning um and then put in another you know massive shift in in their second but um yeah so she was getting it to do a little bit but um Gardner said uh, after play uh, yesterday, she said um, it was sort of doing all sorts of things. It was turning the right way. It wasn't turning at all. It was not turning. It was, you know, it was it was sort of turning the other way. So it was sort of, yeah, it was doing all sorts. And then um, Elisa Healy had said, you know, keeping, she was, you know, keeping quite low because the, the ball was dribbling quite low. But then, you know, a couple spit up the one that, um, she had a um oh she stumped amy jones and it was did she or, or didn't she because the ball sort of bobbled up off the pitch and onto her gloves and onto her chest and then she grabbed it and sort of removed the bales and jones it, it went to a replay and and jones had uh, only narrowly missed getting her her back back and that proved a pretty important moment because um because it meant that then danny wyatt was their only real recognized batter at the end you know still chasing those those runs so yeah the the pitch offered yeah it, it did offer a lot for the spinners not necessarily what you know what you would expect textbook but you know there was there was clearly something there because um for ash gardner to take eight wickets in the innings and 12 for the match was just absolutely remarkable now you would have seen um a lot of her when she was at the t20 world cup when we were there in south africa in february uh what did you think of her and i mean do, did you see this coming in a test I don't know if I saw it coming in a test match, but I do think she was player of the tournament, wasn't she? And she's she's a gun cricketer. She offers so, so much. And those South African pitches, the one at Pal where she took uh, a fifer, that one does assist spinners. It's quite slow. It's low. Sometimes we get a bit of turn, but I mean, generally, we're not seeing raging turners in, in South Africa overall. What I thought she did really well, apart from sticking to her disciplines quite nicely, is she brings a nice amount of enthusiasm and actually I'm going to use the word aggression to the way that she does things you can see a lot of she's an assured player we saw that with the way that she campaigned for indigenous rights and that you know that that might be something a little bit 
off the cricket field, but she's proud of who she is. She knows what she stands for. She knows what she wants. And you can see all of that in the way that she plays. I was genuinely surprised at the spinners taking as many wickets as they did, whether it was Eccleston or Ash Gardner. And I think that may be my own kind of biases of Trent Bridge. And we had spoken before about do we think this pitch is going to favour the seamers? And I was kind of thinking, well, England's new pace attack and they had a couple of debutants. Lauren Filer was in there as well. They're going to be the ones to take the wickets. So I kind of discounted that spin would have such a big role to play. I think she's a fantastic cricketer, Ash Gardner. I think she's going to do some incredible things for Australia going forward. And uh, I I would like to kind of find out, because you were there watching it, what it was about the performance. Because you mentioned the ball turning sometimes the right way, sometimes the wrong way, sometimes not at all. Was it that she stuck to consistent lines and lengths? Or was she doing something particularly special that got her those wickets? No, I think that's exactly what she did. She was really nailing her lengths, um, particularly on that last day. But also what she did too was she, she was putting the ball outside off quite a bit and the and a couple of England batters fell for it basically they you know they felt fell to poor poor shot she was sort of putting it out there and um yeah and getting them to chase it a little bit so um yeah it was just basically having that faith in what she was doing as opposed to you know, ripping it this way and that it wasn't doing that okay um so yeah it was just that patience and that consistency which is what actually got her bowling as many overs as she did I think nowhere near as many as Eccleston but um I think uh it was just basically that Healy knew she could call on her to just keep bowling in that way and she was going to lure the mistake more than anything um that's how I saw it and interestingly too I mean we're talking about Healy and her uh, her busted fingers um Ash Gardner didn't have a great preparation going into this. She didn't bowl in that three-day warm-up match because um, while Australia were batting on the first day, she went out to have a little bit of slips catching, caught a um, a ball on the end of her right uh, index finger um, and damaged the ligaments somewhat. So while she was fielding in this match, every time she wasn't bowling and went out to field, she'd pop a splint on it just so it was protected in the field. Then she'd take it off. She said the adrenaline started pumping and she didn't feel it while she was bowling. But um, yeah, she sort of had to had to be pretty, pretty careful there. So yeah, it was just sort of that having, um, she also said too after the match that, you know, while she could have let that play on her mind a bit, it was just getting that mind back to, well, you're not going to actually forget how to bowl. You've been doing this a while now and uh, and you've worked very hard on it. I mean, she she came into the side as a batter um, and she's now turned herself into this, you know, just gun all-rounder who's one of the leading, you know, off-spinners in the world. And, you know, that's down to, you know, just working really hard on making that skill, you know, as good as and as important as her batting and, and, you know, her captain being able to call on her to do that. But yeah, it was really quite an achievement, 12 wickets for the match. Yeah, absolutely. So we've spoken about batters, we've spoken about the spinners, but my favourite part of the game, the fast bowlers. So just a quick assessment on, on what you think went right or wrong. Maybe it wasn't the pitch for them. We didn't see a lot of wickets falling to them. But especially England's, you know, coming with without Kat Silverbrandt and maybe a little bit of a changing of the guard there. What did you think they did well and what do they still need to work on? 
I think um, I think Lauren Filer, you mentioned her just now. She was the debutante and a bit of an unknown quantity, um, but sort of picked on the basis of her raw pace, her ability to swing the, the Duke's ball. Um, and she was really impressive. There wasn't a lot of swing um, on offer here at all, but her pace was really impressive, um, you know, and great temperament as well. She was getting, I think the highest speeds we saw was uh, from her about 76 miles an hour. Um, you know, so that's, you know, 120 plus. Um, and yeah, just really good raw pace. And anyone who faced her and was asked about her was really complimentary, was like, yeah, that, that pace was really something impressive. Um, so yeah, she did really well. And the fact that we sort of talk a bit about Eccleston's um, five wickets in the Australian second innings, but she took two really important key wickets that kind of started that mini collapse there when, you know, before Healy and King had to recover. So she sort of got called in at a really crucial time, her first international match, not just her first test match, and really got a job done. So she took two wickets in each innings. Really impressive. I think, you know, they'll they'll definitely stick with her and, uh, and absolutely, you know, why not? Kate Cross was also good. So she was shouldering quite a load because she was having to be the pace or the, you know, the seam bowling spearhead now, um, in, in the absence of Catherine Siverbrunt and your shrub soul. She did that against South Africa at Taunton last year as well, did it here. And she bowled really well, sort of probably, you know, that kind of performance that, you know, wasn't like wickets left, right and centre and a real standout, but she bowled, you know, extremely well and, you know, did her job. Um, and, and, and yeah, so so she was really impressive as well. So, yeah, um, I, I think uh, all in all, I think, well not just I think, but, um, you know, Heather Knight, the captain, came out and said she was really proud of her size performance. And, yeah, a captain should say that, really. But, you know, after that, they they did... Uh, they did compete with this Australian side. We know how strong this Australian side is. We talk about it all the time, the fact that if one person doesn't get the job done, there are several others who can, and we saw that again. You know, everyone sort of had a had a role to play and, you know, could step in when needed. So, and that was just, again, that's just their strength and that's what they do and that's how they managed to win this one as well with that absolutely, you know, stellar performance from, from Ash Gardner, who who was the one to step up there. But, yeah, I, I certainly don't think that, um, you know, England, you know, have have anything to, to be ashamed of. Quite the opposite, you know, I think they, they did perform well they did compete and you know they just couldn't couldn't do it against a pretty formidable uh, competitor absolutely and a great test match a great exhibition of what women's cricket can do when they're given that red ball when they're given five days we've got a bit more test cricket coming up south africa will travel to australia to play a test match so for south africa it's big they've played a test against england that was drawn they'll go to australia who coming off victory and a big victory too 89 runs hard fought and I think that's going to be a really great test match that we will look forward to in February of 2024. So a long way to go between now and then. And now we move the women's ashes on Australia with the advantage. We go to the white ball section of the competition. I think that's the one that all of us are, are quite used to seeing women play in. And we're starting off with the T20s. And I think uh, England will be very keen to show what they can do in this format. They lost that T20 World Cup semi-final to South Africa. It was unexpected. They were probably getting themselves ready to play Australia in the final and then ended up having to, to go home without uh, much to show for, except hopefully having had a great time in the Western and Eastern Cape. 
But how do we look forward to this white ball series? Uh, do you think there's going to be some things we see from the T20 World Cup that will come to the fore again? Is it a clean slate? And also, how important are these points for England going forward? Yeah, so the points are what really makes it not a clean slate because England are under pressure now. They've got to win five of these next six games. That's no mean feat against the you know T20 world champions, the ODI world champions. Yeah, it's I, the, the pressure is on. I mean, they can't really look at it like that in the broader context they've you know they'll say we've just got to play the game in front of us and what have you and but actually they do have to because if they start looking at at it like that it's going to be gone before they know it I think they've got the ability to do that they there's their squad well I mean they're the players that they have got to choose from um they are on paper a great t20 side um they will admit they underperformed, I think, at that T20 World Cup. That that said, I mean, South Africa played incredibly well to make it to the final and, you know, deservedly so. It wasn't like England handed it to them either. Um, So, and I guess that's T20 cricket as well. You know, things can just turn on and over here and over there. And that's what I think they have to play like is that if something goes their way, carry that momentum. Um, Elisa Healy talked about it a lot yesterday. And again, this is what they're good at. This is probably their strength. And she actually said, you know, it, what she was really happy about in the test match um, and what we would have seen them do at the T20 World Cup as well is when they get the momentum, they're very good at holding on to it. Um, and when they don't have it, they're quite good at fighting, fighting, fighting until they get it. So if England can match them with that, if they can get the momentum and hold it and they've got the personnel, particularly in that batting lineup to do it, um, if, you know, if someone gets on a roll there, I mean, we know Nat Brunt can, you know, hit big, score quick. Um, we've got um, Sophia Dunkley, Danny Wyatt, you know, at the, at the top there, you know, they've got some great batting in there. If they can get off to a good start, should they bat first? That's a plus. Um, and then, yeah, I guess it's seeing how their bowling uh, stacks up. Because obviously we, we talked about a little bit before that bowling lineup is still, you know, building again. Um, so it's how they, they can sort of manage to attack the Australians as as and when they need to and, and get some momentum there. Um, having seen them at the T20 World Cup, I mean, what what do you, you think? I mean, are they capable of pulling off something against the Australians here in the T20s, which in the next uh, is the next phase? Yeah, look, they have to be because we cannot have Australia running away with everything on offer in the women's game. We need to see a little bit of a changing of the guard. I think England have got a great side. I saw an immense amount of devastation when they lost in that semi-final. And sometimes that kind of reaction tells you a lot about what players expect of themselves and how far they expect themselves to go and how good they think they are. And it's not to say that, you know, they thought they should have beaten South Africa. It was South Africa's first victory over them on such a big occasion in any event. But I do think that what the England side have is a lot of self-confidence. And so you've got these two teams who are coming up against each other, who both know how good they are, who've both got excellent professional domestic structures, who've got lots and lots of depth. I think a lot will be on the shoulders of Nat Brandt. She's kind of become an icon player for the England side. And I think that she carries that really well, actually. She seems to almost thrill in that kind of responsibility. Of course, Sophie Eccleston, who we mentioned, who... I think it's just loving every part of what she's doing now. She's done so well in tournaments at home, abroad. She's picking up wickets all the time. So she will definitely be one to watch. And I think on the whole, if England and if the crowds, you know, we've seen it here. It's a very different place in Zimbabwe, of course. But 
one of the things that have helped Zimbabwe get four wins out of four is that they've had a packed Harare sports club. I promise you, it's like having a 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th player on that field. So I know that this is a record number of people coming into the grounds. It was a record probably for the test. And I think you were talking about 60 or 70,000 tickets all told. Some incredible venues that they're playing at as well. And that was one of the things that came up in the report this morning was... Do the women get enough exposure at the big grounds? Are they playing enough at Lords? And I heard mentioned uh, they are actually playing a game at Lords this time around. They're playing at the Oval as well. So they're playing at some great venues where we know the atmosphere is so different in the women's game. We know it's much more family oriented. Uh, it's maybe a little bit less hostile, but at the same time, this is the Ashes. So you know the English supporters have to get in there and they have to they have to come out in their numbers. What do you expect? Is it going to be a couple of sellouts on those T20s? Uh, yeah, I think so. I haven't seen the latest um, figures, but we did. They were, yeah, those numbers that you were just mentioning then, like in the lead up. So, And you've got to, got to think that, you know, more will sell now. And even off the back of the test as well, um, you know, people having seen what an exciting match it was, that might sort of prompt them to, to um, yeah, Buy, buy tickets as and where they are still available. One thing um, to note as well is our first stop is Edgebaston. And so that's where England will really be wanting to make amends. I mean, you say about, um, you know, not making the final of the T20 World Cup, great point. Also really disappointing Commonwealth Games campaign. I mean, they finished in fourth place on home soil that, you know, they went out there, you know, wanting to, to win it and, and, you know, all fell short. So yeah, they're, they're back to there. And the You've got the Australians going back to where they won the Commonwealth Games. So, I mean, there's an element of that too if you want to sort of talk about you know, the, the mental side of, of things there, which is, you know, you know quite often as important as the physical. Um, one point on Nat Brunt as well, you're right. I mean, she she could very well hold the key and she only bowled five overs in the first innings uh, here. She had a bit of a knee complaint. Um, she did bowl in Australia's second innings. Uh, she batted really well, you know, made a 50. So uh, hopefully that sort of came good. Um, hence, you know, we, we saw her bowling a little bit more. Um, but yeah uh, that that could be a little question mark but um you know hopefully for England uh she's right fit I'm I'm sure we'll find out soon enough but yeah um if if she's fit and firing she could well hold the key um and I'm sure that uh yeah whoever uh is there and um I expect it will be a lot of people uh they're going to be in for a treat yeah absolutely so the women's ashes are dominating the women's game at the moment. It's what we're talking about. It's so exciting. Australia, I guess not unexpectedly in the advantage, but I hope for everybody watching for neutrals, you know, we're seeing the men's ashes hotting up. We want to see England bounce back. Me as a neutral, that's what I want to see because uh, we want this to go down to the wire and be very, very exciting as the summer rolls out there in the UK. But that's not the only women's action we've got going on at the moment. There are, in fact, three other series happening as we speak or about to happen. We've got a little bit later on in July, Bangladesh, who will be hosting India. And India have got quite a few questions around them. They're looking for a new coach, which we've been talking about. They've had the WPL, which has been so fantastic for their game. We're hoping that India are going to start to show us some of their depth, that the WPL is going to do kind of like what the IPL did for them. And we're going to start to see some new names, some new faces Bangladesh, so impressive at that T20 World Cup. A lot of talent in that squad, a lot of young talent. Their captain, Nigar Sultana, really leads from the front. We've seen that they've got some fight in them. 
they're hosting the next T20 World Cup. So I think they're going to be a side to really watch out for. That's a big series and that'll be kicking off in July. And then live at the moment, New Zealand women are in Sri Lanka. They're playing a series there. That's an interesting one as well because New Zealand had a really disappointing T20 World Cup campaign. Sri Lanka, I suppose, similarly so. Maybe we didn't really expect too much more from them. But the challenge for the Sri Lankan side is to find some players beyond the names we already know. Chamari Atapatu is definitely their headline player and they're wanting to unearth some talent there. New Zealand, they've got the experience of Susie Bates and Sophie Devine. And then they've got some younger players coming through as well. So they're a good one to watch. And then I think the one that I really want to talk about is West Indies women who are hosting the Irish women. So both these men's teams have had really, really disappointing World Cup qualifying campaigns. The Ireland men... They're out of the Super Sixes. They won't be going to the World Cup. There are massive financial and cultural implications for that. But their women's team, we saw them qualify for the T20 World Cup. Didn't win any games, but they put on a really good showing. They've got some excellent players and a lot of depth. They're also kind of at the forefront of leading the fight for women's equal pay, women getting the same amount of fixtures, all that sort of stuff. So I'm really pleased to see them in the West Indies. And then West Indies men, oh, they've had a rough time of it. They lost to Zimbabwe, they lost to the Dutch, and they're going into the Super Sixes with no points, so that could have huge implications on whether or not they will make the main World Cup. But their women, they registered a victory against Ireland in their first ODI, and they're led by their captain, Hayley Matthews, who scored 109 off 106 balls. She's really a fantastic player. Stefani Taylor back in form, she made 55. Chanel Henry made 53. And then with the bowling, Haley Matthews, that lady again, three for 53 in that victory. So there's three women's series going on. There's the women's ashes going on. It's really a wonderful time to be a cricket fan, to be interested in the women's game. And we're so looking forward to bringing you more of that action on Ladies Who Switch soon.